Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. focus this one a little bit i think it works a little bit better for this podcast than it does for the midweek podcast we can go a little bit more big picture um plus we're, we're just going off what we just saw the, the fun part about this uh, fun for me not fun for nate uh it's my co-host nate atkins not fun for him is that uh we're gonna do some categories and nate doesn't have any idea what they are uh, no idea <laughs> i just came up with them um we, borrowing borrowing this format by the way i think from my from my favorite podcast three watchable so uh have to just acknowledge that I didn't come up with this on my own, but I think it's it's probably the best way to do it. We're going to start with a little bit of a big picture thing, um, though, as just by way of intro. Intro: Colts lose today, seventeen to sixteen. A score that's identical to the the loss that they had uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, three weeks ago against Washington. Yeah, last last um, time they were here. Uh, last time they were in Lucas Oil Stadium, so three weeks ago against Washington. Different games, obviously. Matt Ryan started. Um, it was Washington instead of the the Eagles. It, it, different teams, but in a weird way, felt oddly familiar. Felt felt a lot like that game. And yep. giving up fourth down conversions and quarterbacks scrambling around and making things happen. And uh, defense gives up one long touchdown drive at the absolute worst moment, and the offense can't put the game away. Yeah, and and the offense. Um, Probably didn't put the defense in a good position. I think that's the other part of it is mm-hmm. just after after both of those games that some of the questions in the locker room were to the defense were, uh, can, can you how can you handle the weight of all this um, of constantly having to hold teams that you know holding the Eagles to seventeen points considering what their offense has done this year feels like it should be a win. Uh, the in game the in game of it where you're giving up a lead I think makes it worse, but. Uh, just just a lot of stuff that felt really familiar and tempers. I think some of the enthusiasm surrounding the way they played against the Raiders in the wake of the head coaching change, um, because uh, I think the only thing that really looked different from the offense today, there are two things that look different from the offense today, and they were both mitigated. Uh, number one, uh, they scored on the first drive, which to me was mitigated by the fact that they didn't score a touchdown the rest of the game. And number two, Matt Ryan didn't turn the ball over, which was mitigated by the fact that they didn't score the rest of the game. So and, they, and Jonathan Taylor did turn it over, so they did get their one. Um, so yeah, I, it, I, for you, kind of felt the same way. Just like it, it felt like a lot more of the same of what we've seen from this team all season. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, that's exactly what I was writing. What's ironic is at the exact moment I was writing that the one difference is the lack of turnovers. They still found a way to to turn it over at a really bad spot there in the fourth quarter. Um, really, that we, we weren't talking as much about that fumble from Jonathan Taylor because uh, just a few plays later, Zaire Franklin punched the ball out and got it back for them. Uh, but, yeah, it feels, it feels very much similar because we, we know what this team is at this point. It is a deeply flawed offense that is 
just not strong enough at the premium positions, tackle, and uh, they got limitations at quarterback. They were always going to have that, but it's it's been brought out by the fact that the offensive line is as bad as it is. And the defense is a very solid unit that just falls a little bit short of dominant. You know, that's the story I ended up writing was about that, how they've got some Pro Bowl caliber players like uh, DeForest Buckner, Safad Gilmore, and Grover Stewart. They've got some role players who are playing very well within those roles, like Rodney McLeod and Zaire Franklin and Bobby Okereke. But they always feel like, like they're just to win with this style of offense that they have and with a special teams unit that has been you know, solid at times. It's not as down as it was because of some injuries and other things, uh, personnel losses. Like, their defense needs to be one of the top two or three in the league to be able to win this way. And they're just short of that. They're just they're just like a pass rusher short. They're a Yardage wise, playmaker I think they're like short. top five. Yeah, they're 11th in DVOA. Um, so 11th best defense. You can win with that, but you're rarely is that going to just carry you to victories. And today that, that felt the same way. They Overall, the overall numbers, holding a team to 17 points, that's in the top 10 in rushing and passing DVOA. It's impressive. But, again, you know, they give up one drive when they can't give it up. They lose the one way that they told themselves they weren't going to lose on a Jalen Hurd scramble on third and seven. And they, they, they just keep feeling like they're superstar defender away. And they're obviously the bigger picture is they're, they're a competent offense away. When you play this way in 2022, you can look great for a lot of the game on defense and even in moments on offense, and you still come up a little bit short if you're only scoring 16 points. Let's uh, let's move into the categories again. Nate doesn't know uh, Nate doesn't know what any of these are, so so bear with him. Um, but we're, we're, since it's a loss, we're going to start out with villain, villain of the game. Uh, this can go in any direction, really. Any any definition you can come up with for villain, uh, you can go you can go for it. Uh, Villain of the game for me. Um, I, I'm gonna. I'm not gonna do this, to Nate. Every time where I get to take it from him, and he don't make him think of it on the spot. I'm just gonna be nice to him on the first one. Villain of the game for me was Jalen Hurts. Uh, J- Jalen Hurts. Not not like a great game from him. Not a superstar game from him. But ultimately, he kind of ended up generating almost all of Philadelphia's offense. You know, 16 carries, 86 yards, uh, and a touchdown. Obviously, the game-winning touchdown. Hurts 18 of 25, 190 yards, took three sacks, but threw a touchdown pass, no turnovers. Uh, they, there's a problem here with the Colts' pass rush without Quiddy Pay, without, without Taequann Lewis. Uh, they, that they're just not deep enough. This isn't a deep enough pass rush. And Philadelphia double Philadelphia has a really has a really good set of tackles to start with. And Unique Ngakwe had probably his best game as a Colt. I mean. We'll get to this. I'll, I'll, I don't want to step on any of the other categories, but they, they just didn't get enough consistent edge pressure. They had three sacks, but there was a lot of times when Hertz had a lot of time to stay in the pocket and then ran around just because he he was just waiting for something to come open. But his his ability to create, his ability to move, make plays on the on the move with his feet, that's that's ultimately what ended up costing the Colts defense the most in this game. Yeah, so, so villain of the game for me is Jalen Hertz. So what do you got, villain of the game? Yeah, he's the easy choice, but to do something a little different than that, I'm. Yeah, you know, it's hard to pick one of these guys, so I, you know. But I'll just give it to one of the the edge rushers. I'll give it to uh, Hassan Reddick, who had the sack 
on the third and goal play, the Colts' second to last drive when they had the chance to put the game away. They score a touchdown there. They're up two scores, and there's not enough time for the Eagles to come back. And Hassan Reddick just, just totally blew past uh, Bernard Ryman, and so much so that he just surprised Matt Ryan so much in that moment that he got him all the way back at the 20 and sacked him there. Luckily for the Colts, they were still able to get a field goal out of that drive, but it was this was another game where their offensive line just caved in at the worst moment. It was these obvious passing situations. Uh, Jeff Saturday talked about that when you have a talented defense that can pin its ears back. Uh, it's really tough to deal with, and it's tough to deal with when your offensive line is not playing well. And so this was a... This was a game where they came out all right on the offensive line, but it, it just kept getting worse as the game went on. Uh, and Hassan Reddick, Brandon Graham, either one of those could be the villain because Graham got the sack on the final drive. But I'm going to give it to Reddick there because that was the one play that if they hit that, if they can throw a touchdown pass, they win the game and he messed it up for them. Okay, we'll switch, we'll switch back now. Hero of the game. Hero of the game. We're gonna, I'm going to let you go first. This one's self-explanatory. Like, it, I don't think I need to explain this one at all. So, well, the hero of the game would be for the loss. But this is a Colts podcast, so this is from, so, from a Colts perspective. So who perspective. was trying to save the game for them? Uh, I'll let you go first. <laughs> this is what happens when you spring stuff on your, your podcast co-host. Uh, I was going to go Paris Campbell um, just because of that one catch right there at the end. That was, that was the they, – they'd been needing an explosive play down the field all day. Uh, Taylor had been bottled up. And they got it. That 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 catch by Campbell, getting open deep, making the catch, uh, the thirty-one yard catch from Matt Ryan. That that should have set up what would have been a game ceiling touchdown. Uh, problems in the red zone again. Uh, end up rearing their ugly head, and they don't. They end up getting a field goal there. But but Paris Campbell has come on so much, um, and, and that that really should have been the play that put the game away. So so I'm gonna I'm gonna go Paris Campbell there. Okay, I'm gonna. Um, this probably sounds like an odd answer, but I'm going to go with Roddy McLeod. You know, this was just an interesting week for him facing his former team. It's also he came out with some custom cleats for the uh, you know, the tragedy at Virginia where he played. And you know, he really wanted to win this win bad for, for all those reasons. And obviously he knew how, how important it was for their season to have any chance. And I just think all season long he has showed up and bet everything that this team has wanted. And today, again, when they had to have some big plays – Throughout the game, he kept coming up with them. He he was blowing up some screen passes. Uh, he had the the stop up the middle on uh, on on a third and short. You know, he he was getting them off the field when they need to get off the field. He kept giving this offense a chance to go win the game. So I really think if this is an even somewhat competent offense, they win the game. And we're talking about Rodney McLeod being that that kind of glue guy, he, he, the, right in the middle of the defense, uh, really take really taking away a lot of the things that the Eagles do really well with AJ Brown and uh, Devonta Smith over the middle. Some of those run plays with Miles Sanders, they just couldn't get anything going that wasn't Jalen Hurts running the ball. And even that part of it, I don't think. Uh, you know, I, I I just give him a lot of credit for for keeping them in this game and really should have won the game if if the you know if their offense is competent. Okay, moving on, we're gonna go to we're just gonna stick with the hero thing since our brains are in that space. We're gonna go with the unsung hero. So yours is already a little bit like this, but that's gonna happen with these losses. We're not gonna have obvious heroes and stuff. So unsung hero is somebody who may be a little bit off the beaten path. That that gave them a chance to win or, or played an important role in the game. Yeah, I'm gonna go with Grover Stewart. 
um, he's just shown up again every single week. He recovered a fumble. There were just plays where, you know, he had he had pressure on Jalen Hurts that, that led to an Eagles field goal. He's just been – he's the guy that takes teams out of what they like to do. And to the, today that's Eagles trying to run the ball, and they did, they can't do it. A lot of teams are running into that wall against this team. And it, when you take a team that's so used to being successful there like the Eagles out of that and you, you make them drop back in predictable pass situations – uh, you know, it, you can bring out the worst of them, and they brought out the worst of the Eagles today. Obviously, in the end, the final drive um, didn't go their way. But uh, for for most of the game, though, they they went up against an offense that's got uh, this top ten in offense or in rushing and passing DVOA, and they shut them down. And I think the guy that he had he had the fumble recovery, but but really had so many plays uh, in there to kind of put them in those situations, and that's Grover Stewart. Yeah, unsung hero for me. I'm I'm gonna go with uh, Unique Ngakwe. Um, he he's he's a guy who's been, frankly, just not hasn't played up to his reputation so far this season, and and I think that the the unsung part of this is that the, the big strip sack that he got, the sort of play that we haven't seen from him all season, came when the Eagles decided to inexplicably uh, block him with Miles Sanders and and no one yeah. else. Uh, left weird. tackle Jordan Mailata uh, doubled down on Grover Stewart. Um, which, if it was Gro- if it was DeForest Buckner, I would maybe understand. But as much as I love Grover's pass rush ability, um, I-, I still wouldn't put Miles Sanders on it. But uh, outside of that, th- there were more plays from Ngakwe. It-, it wasn't just that he had a he had a half sack with Zaire Franklin uh, to end one drive. Uh, he made a couple plays chasing stuff down from the backside. I thought this was maybe the game he showed up the most in uh, for the Colts this season, and it was a game he needed to. Uh, so I-, I thought that you know just. He's he's taking a lot of flack, I think, um, and, and from us too, justifiably so, because he he was brought in to be a big war daddy edge rusher and ha- hasn't happened yet. But today was pretty good. Today was a pretty good. Um, today was a pretty good day for him. Uh, although you know, obviously, didn't come up unsung because it didn't end up turning into a big deal at the end of it when they needed a pass rush the most. That leaves us with unsung villain, which I'm already sort of regretting using villain here because of what I'm about to choose. Um, Bernard Ryman had a tough day, and I don't mean to put villain on him, but just in terms of he had a really he had a rough day penalty wise. Uh, he was really, 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 really far downfield on a screen. Like it wasn't sort of one of those. Oh, I can understand how that happens. The play didn't. The pass play didn't get off. He was like twelve yards downfield on a screen that for a penalty. There was another penalty in there. Uh, I think he gave up two sacks. Um, just just a rough day for him. Uh, Again, maybe maybe as we do for, go forward, we need to rethink villain. But just just a rough day for him. Uh, you know, I, I don't think it necessarily disqualifies him, but he's he's clearly not a um, sort of the sort of left tackle you can just put out there and forget about just yet. And it, it showed up a lot today. Yeah, and it, to pick one that's a little different but very similar would be uh, would be Will Fries. And really, I thought the story is they've got these two super young. Uh, offensive linemen, and they're just going to have to deal with those growing pains. It's a it's a messed up group overall. Um, they want to get the same five out there, develop them. That includes playing these young players who, who barely played coming into today. Wolfries played well last week against the Raiders, really helped solidify that pass protection gave, for a team that gave up one quarterback hit. But today, uh, that was a guy that, that the Eagles were picking on a little bit down the stretch there. He, he had a holding penalty, I believe, and then he also had the uh, – false start on the final drive when he was you know that's a new moment for him try to go win the game uh you know they did it last week against the Raiders but they, they just 
the Eagles defensive line really got in the heads of, of these new uh, new offensive linemen who are out there starting, and Wolf Rise is one of those. So, yeah, it's it's not fun calling him a calling him a villain, but it's a young player who's got to work through it, and this was a kind of a tough day for him. Number of the day is the next one we're going to do. This one's pretty self-explanatory. You just have to pick one number. Um, my number is uh, – My number is going to be 35. Yeah, 35. 35 is the number of rushing yards that Jonathan Taylor had after the opening drive against a defense that is ranked uh, 28th in the NFL in rush defense DVOA. It's been one of the worst run defenses in the league. Uh, Taylor, they, they, it worked on the first drive. They, they ran right through him, seven carries for 49 yards and a touchdown. It looked like at the time that they were just going to do that all day and they'd be fine the way they did last season. And then all of a sudden, Philadelphia changed some stuff up and figured it out. And they had Dominic Sue and Linval Joseph coming off the street and play pretty good football for him. And 15 carries for 35 yards the rest of the way. Never got anything else going in the running game. They had to. They had to. That first drive showed it. They had to have the running game against this defense because, you know, you think about every short pass they threw to the flat. I don't think there's been a game this year, and I'm including the second Tennessee game in the, in here, where short passes got blown up as quickly as they did today. Uh, it's a very aggressive Philadelphia secondary, very good Philadelphia secondary, and they just weren't having any of that quick throw to the flat stuff that turned into big yardage. So they had to get that stuff done in the run game. You couldn't use the passing game as an extension of it. And they just didn't. It just didn't happen after that. Uh, the, the offensive line didn't give him much room. And they, they didn't really get him on the perimeter much either. It was mostly up the middle. Uh, but, but yeah, they, that's, that's the number of the day for me is that I, on a day when the running game had to be good, like this – everyone always brings up the Patriots when they do this, and I'm going to do, do the same thing. Like Belichick's strategy for so long, and people have raved about this over the years, is if you're really bad at one thing and really good at the other thing, I'm just going to do the thing that you're bad at until you fall over and today felt like that because you don't always get games where you don't always get games where it's uh one or the other like that but this this is the number one pass defense dvoa wise 13 interceptions 29 sacks five yards per attempt every number the eagles have on pass defense wise is great and every number they have on the rush defense side is bad this was the day to just pound it and they tried to to some degree uh and didn't they just didn't do it they just didn't do it and you know, I think some people feel like they didn't get to it enough. They didn't try it enough. 15 carries for 35 yards after the first drive shows that it doesn't matter. It wouldn't have mattered. They, they just weren't getting yards. Yeah, and to your point, the running backs combined for seven catches for 13 yards. So they Is that your number? It's not my number. Oh, I'm just supporting your bonus number. As a bonus. I thought about using that one, but I'm actually going to use the number seven, which is the number of – design rushes that Jalen Hurts had in the fourth quarter, which is the most of any game this season. So they went down – the Eagles went down with one play design. That's really all they had down the stretch, and it somehow still worked. When they had to convert a fourth down uh, from two yards out, they had Jalen Hurts sneak it and power through. And then when they got down to third and goal, um, for some reason, you know, inexplicably, the Colts were not ready for that. Now they explained that that was you – know, that was a matter of – uh, Eagles have kind of surprised them this week by running out of sets with the running back in the backfield. Normally they do it out of empty with Jalen Hurts, but by that hey, point... Flip that. Flip that. They, it, normally they run quarterback draw with a running back to give him an extra blocker. 
Today they did it empty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah, today they did it. Yeah, today they were running out of empty, um, and they were using, you know, just just getting it behind Jason Kelsey, and then on that final, but on that final play, the touchdown was that uh, that was Sanders in the backfield, and he just followed him. So it was a little different than what they'd been doing throughout the day. But but again, it was like when you have. Nick Sirianni's looking, and he's not – Nick Sirianni and Shane Steichen, when they're coming up with what to do in that situation, it's third and seven – or third and goal from the seven. They got two plays to get seven yards. Made a lot of sense to run Jalen Hurts, get as close as you can, and then uh, either he gets in the end zone or you have one more play to do it. They weren't at all ready for it, and he walks in the end zone. But it's really what it came down to is the only thing that the defense couldn't stop today was Jalen Hurts running the ball and – the way the defend, defenders talked about it, they said, we wanted them to do that. that we wanted them to, that to be their game plan. Take everything else away and just pound your quarterback uh, run game. And yet, that still is the one way they ended up losing. You're going to lighten things up here in the middle. We're going to try to do this every podcast. We came, this is where I got the idea for the categories anyway. Was I did this uh, last week, and some people said they liked it. The three things that brought me joy um, – you don't have to come up with three things – but the three things that brought me joy, uh, number one – you already mentioned this, Rodney McLeod's cleats. The number one part of it that brought me joy is that technically in the NFL, you are not supposed to wear cleats that are not that are non-conforming. That's the word they use to the uniform. Uh, he had the numbers and names of the three players who died, the three Virginia players who died last week on his left shoe, which was black. On his right shoe, he had a poem um, just about remembering people that you've lost. Uh and he wore him through the game. And technically, technically, the NFL is supposed to find him for that. And I love, I love that he just went out there and did it anyway. And my second take on that is if the NFL does find him, it's the dumbest find of all time. <laughs> they, they, this is one where you just, oops, look the other way, missed it. It's my number one thing that brought me joy. Number two thing that brought me joy. This is, this is probably most of the week, most of the time, these are going to be more like this. They're going to be like little football things. Uh, Michael Pittman Jr.'s role for two more yards. I asked him about that too. <laughs> he he said all the yards matter, and I said you get you get two yards after roll, so that's pretty impressive. He he he, he got the ball going to the ground, and and there it was very clear that there were people right around him. It wasn't like a get up and move situation. It wasn't like a get up and keep running situation. If you and he doesn't want to fumble. Yeah, if you watch the game, you probably remember this. But he he straight up just rolled. It looked like a it looked like a fire prevention thing, um, and it was it was great. I I actually love it when players remember that in the NFL, um, because then the instinct from college and from high school is that once you're down, you're down. But I love it when players remember that they can they can roll or they can wiggle their way out of bounds because there are situations in the NFL where they have to get out of bounds and stuff. And I love it when they have the presence of mind to do that. I like seeing it from Pittman. Uh, and the number three, number three thing that brought me joy. This is something that I'm never going to get over as long as I cover the NFL. I've covered the NFL for eight years now. Uh, I th- there's a play in like every game when you're sitting in the stadium live and you think there's no way a guy could have gotten his feet in bounds, and he does anyway. And today it was Ky- Kylan Granson. Kylan Granson did it. Uh, it was a play on the sideline. Um, it looked like maybe he couldn't get his second foot down. Uh, one of the people in the press box next to us said that they didn't think he got his feet down, and he did, pretty obviously, actually. And I, I think that that's something that, like, that there's, there's, I feel like there's, like, maybe not every game, but every other game, there's a play like that where I'm like, oh, I don't know. And it turns out he was in by, like, three steps or something like that. 
Do you have anything that brought you joy? You don't have to have three things. We're just gonna. I'm just gonna give you one. I do. It was uh, the forced fumble that Zaire Franklin had, and it's not for the reason you think, which is obviously it was a big play and it was a big moment for them. But when I asked him about that, he said that he was furious that drive because right after Jonathan Taylor fumbled, T.J. Edwards of the Eagles was celebrating along their sideline, and he was not a. a in the least bit a fan of that and so he went out there and said I need to get find a way to get the ball back and that was his mentality when AJ Brown catches the ball over the middle of the field and he just goes into Shaquille Leonard mode and just starts scraping at that ball and and forces it out and um, it's a huge play in that moment really honestly should have won them the game if they can drive down and they can score and put in the end zone which they came within five yards of doing but um, I just love that it was uh it was fueled by trash talk and that that got them the the turnover that they needed. Okay, another light one. I'm going to try to come up with a third light one uh, to just kind of break up these podcasts. But uh, uh, game day observation. This can be anything uh, atmosphere-wise, anything in this, anything you saw in the stadium. It's not an actual game-playing thing. This is like, you know, if you're at the at – vi- it's going to be easier to do sometimes on the visiting games when we're on the road because you. this is like a vintage player, like you find the right vintage player. Um, there was a Jerome Brown today. This isn't mine, but that, that, I really like that one. Um, game game day the game day observation, and mine was there was a proposal today at the Colts game. What, what what's what's your what's your thought on game day proposals? Uh, I think they're 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 a bit risky. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like you you better be dang sure about that before you <laughs> before you go out there because it'll be it's either your, the best day of your life or the uh, worst day and everyone got to watch. So uh, I I know you're not a big fan of them. I'm though. very against them. I'm very against them. I, I will make an exception. I'll make I'll make it one exception for it if it has meaning to the person you're proposing to, uh, like significant meaning. If it is like it's like the first date you went on or where you met, or uh, like just it's a person who's a huge diehard, reads everything, knows every transaction. Like it's the number one thing in their life. Colts fan. Then I'm then I, that that's that's fine. But but outside of that. As somebody who has done a proposal, I cannot imagine the nerves of having to wait on the stadium and putting it in the hands of somebody else to tell you when it's going to happen, get you in the right spot, do the lying for you to get you in the right spot. Uh, Like, you're putting it in the hands of people you don't know. And loose lips sink ships with proposals. That was always my philosophy. I, I didn't tell... Uh, my wife's parents that I was doing it until literally the day before because I was worried they would tell her what was going on. I, th- with a game, you inevitably have to put it in the hands of people you probably don't know. Unless you're a Colts employee or a Lucas Oil Stadium employee, you have to put it in the hands of people you don't know. And on top of that, I know a lot of people do not like to be proposed to when there's lots of people watching them. Yeah, And you can't have more it's people exactly watching them. exactly an moment. Unless you, I guess, do it at the Speedway. That might be my number one. Don't ever do it at the Indy 500 <laughs> when there's 300,000 people watching you. But, like, there's so many people watching you, and some people don't like that. Like, my wife, when we did our proposal, there were people there, and she was like, that was almost too many. It was like 20. Can you imagine 74,000 or whatever it that was That is today? some peer pressure. It's just a lot. It's a lot of pressure, and you're already <laughs> at a n- nervous level. I think most people proposing are at a nervous le- ner- level of nerves that's, like, too high anyway i can't imagine having all this other stuff going on to raise your nerve level so so yeah game game day proposal 
That's that's my observation. Don't like them. Don't don't like them from a proposing standpoint. Having done one myself, not my favorite thing. Yeah, you make some good points. I uh, Same day observation from Nate. I, I remember the one disagreement we had though was when you said that uh, that if you do that proposal, it's all it's it's all about you. You're doing it for your yeah. Own that's interest. where the caveats came in. Yeah, and that's you, what I said. Sure. Well, what if you know that. Yes, the cave the caveats matter. The caveats do matter. Like if if someone's a big Colts fan, if it's your first date, if it's where you and that's it. where it's a lot different to me. If she is a diehard Colts fan and she'll remember it that way, I can see it being cool. If it's someone that you just dragged to a game and you're like, oh, now this is going to be the you're moment. A bi- if you're a big Colts fan and your significant other's not, yeah, that's a problem. That's bad. That's a problem. Um, that's a good one. My mine isn't as fun as that, but I just in, I this isn't something Colts fans I'm sure enjoyed. But I was interested at the end of the game when. Nick Sirianni was yelling up at fans in the stands because that is just a lot not of Eagles fans today. A lot that of Eagles fans were here. A lot of Eagles fans, like to the point that when some good things happened for the Eagles, it was loud. You could hear a defense chant when the Colts were on offense on that final drive, and I think Nick was yelling to Eagles fans. It looked like, like I don't think it was. He was like trying to rub it in. I mean, obviously Nick spent four years here, and um, and it helped to get him a head coaching job, and and he loved his time here and that was just an interesting angle though for him because he uh he had some things to say after the game about you know the Frank Reich firing and coming back here and wishing he had gotten to coach against one of his mentors and uh you saw a little bit of the fire from him in in that moment uh talking about how he he was going up to Colts veterans and talking about the situation and then said they it was good to hear them say some things that I'll keep to myself uh he just was willing to stoke the fires a little bit and it was a weird game, though, because, I mean, it's not like – I mean, they scored 17 points on a not very good football team and won in the final minutes, but it's a win, and that was the main thing he said by the end is a win. It's always going to count as a win. And so I just – you don't often see coaches, coaches show a lot the, of emotion. Coaches in the NFL don't usually discount wins the way they do it at other levels. Yeah, and nor should they. You just, But you also usually don't see NFL coaches yelling to people in the stands. So – I, I just enjoyed that from an atmosphere level because, um, you know, a lot of coaches are just sort of robotic, and Nick Sirianni is not, and he fits Philly very well with that. Yeah, I think if I think that's probably why he's done a good job in Philly too. It's just because like that part of him relates well to players, and I think relating well to players in whichever way you do it matters. Um, and Sirianni, we know, is a guy who isn't afraid to get in people's faces. That was part of his role here. But but if you if you have somebody you trust doing that. Uh, it matters a lot. And I think that that's probably the thing that was underrated when he got hired because everyone saw a press conference or whatever. But his his ability to relate to players, I think, is why he's been so successful there. Um, Colts have lost a little bit of an edge since he left, too. Um, um, game planning and just sort of the, I don't know, some of the, the aggressive, I don't know. I guess they were aggressive last year, but but this year is. I, in, I think, granted, they I don't think, believe in. The I think that that stuff has more to do with personnel than it I does do with, too with but, the offensive coordinator. But but Nick has designed. It's just designed such a nice offense, and it was interesting when the Colts were moving to Sam Ellinger. That was the offense they were studying. They were trying to take as much as they could from the Eagles' playbook, and this is why you saw it today. Is that even though this is maybe the worst performance of the Eagles of the year on offense, but still. The schematic, basic identity of them running with Jalen Hurts and some of the wrinkles they threw in there, like how they switched up the way they were running and the sets they were running out of, uh, that that mattered. And that, that ended up winning it. And then the other thing, too, on that end was they adjusted a lot on defense to shut down the Colts' run game after they came out and got gashed that first drive. And so that's 
that relatability plays out that way when you hear players coming back to the sideline and telling you about what is working, what's not working, adjusting in the game. It's um, it's a lot of moving parts, and I, I think Nick and his staff do a good job of, of hearing that and reacting well to it, and that's why they're 9-1. and one. Okay, moving on. This is We're going to get into a little bit more uh, of the, the game-type categories now. Too much blame. Who got too much blame today? Mm, I think it's I think it's Matt Ryan. Okay. Um, I know that's a drum I've beaten a lot this year, but I saw this. It feels like fans, and this is just how it goes. Fans love to have one person to blame for things, and that's it's a quarterback and head coach league. And it's very easy in play offensive play caller. Very easy to look at those things. For a long time, it was Frank Reich, Frank Reich, Frank Reich, and then last week when they won, you know, with Jeff Saturday in his debut. A lot of the, the inertia was about, you know, Jeff Saturday came here and he fixed some things. And today they went right back to looking like what they've looked like under Frank Reich as an offense. They scored 16 points and they, um, they, they couldn't do much of anything in the red zone. I, they only turned over one time, um, but it wasn't with the quarterback. And it seemed like the blame all shifted back to the quarterback. And so a lot of talk about you know, him having a noodle arm and not managing situations well. Um, even saw some people suggesting that he's not a clutch player, which is interesting cause it, considering he leads the NFL in uh, fourth quarter comebacks, and that's the only time. It's the only reason the Colts have wins this year. They have four wins and a tie, and they're all fourth quarter comebacks. So, look, I'm not. Ryan didn't play perfect. He's not going to be perfect. But you're talking about a guy that that, uh, that attempted 32 passes against maybe the toughest team in the NFL to throw against, didn't turn the ball over, and ultimately. This was the one game where they they weren't able to come back largely because his offensive line just cratered at the worst moment. And if you're expecting Matt Ryan to work out of you know some of these situations like you know fourth and twenty, um, third and longs, like that's not what he came here to do. So I don't understand blaming you know the quarterback who's really here to be a leader and a game manager of a team that can run the ball really well and pass protect. And yet again, they don't do those things. So I think Matt Ryan got too much blame. I'm going Zaire Franklin. Uh, caught a lot of. Caught, I mean, the pass interference was bad. He, he said after the game that he would have, if he could do it over again, he would turn and look. But it, he was expecting Miles Sanders. He was expecting the ball to be out in front of Miles Sanders, and he was just trying to do anything to prevent the touchdown. He thought he didn't realize that Sanders was going to be slowing down for a ball that was a little bit underthrown. Um, he also made a mistake on the play that this is this is it's partially his mistake, but it's also partially the pass rush's mistake um, because. He knew that Hertz was trying to get the ball to Devontae Smith on a hitch route, and he reacted to that and tried to take it away because um, it was third and two. You know, if he throws the short pass there, like you, you, you need to break it up to get the stop you want. Um, and because Hertz was rolling, he didn't have to throw that. He could wait and then let Miles Sanders develop down the field. So there was that play. Obviously, the, the touchdown to win the game. Um, that one is more of an assignment thing than a, and a read thing because he's he's in man on the tight end, and the Eagles just ran a pop pass for a touchdown like two weeks ago. Uh, mm-hmm. So he, I think he caught some heck that probably should have gone to the defensive line there. Uh, but otherwise, the rest of his game, twelve tackles, half a sack, included in the and that sack ended a drive that was in Colts territory and was going to be a field goal attempt and pushed it out of field goal range and turned into a punt in the first quarter. The forced fumble that you already mentioned which should have been a huge play in the game after the Taylor fumble to get the ball back that quickly. He had the bad he had a bad play on the on the last drive, a big play on the last drive. I I think the overall way he played 
was better than than just you know taking too much for that 39 yards on the on the last drive and also the problem is why is Zaire Franklin guarding someone 39 yards down the field because well, he had the running back linebackers have running backs no not because that because they couldn't get to Jalen Hurts right I okay. mean, yeah, yeah, they yeah, let him run point. 40 yards down the field like that's Zaire Franklin was never supposed to do that for this team so again same thing with Matt Ryan. He's not supposed to bail you out of third and 20. Zaire Franklin's not supposed to make a play 40 yards down the field. That's the failure of the system they're supposed to be playing in. Nate's already stepping on my next category, which is too little blame. And I was going to go too little blame to the Colts pass rush. Uh, mm. it, it's not deep enough. It's not deep enough. And actually, maybe too little blame goes to Chris. Maybe maybe it's Ballard. Maybe it's actually Chris Ballard. The, the Eagles, look, looking across at the Eagles' defense, their edge rushers are... Hassan Reddick, Brandon Graham, Josh Sweat, and Robert Quinn, who they picked up at the trade deadline. Robert Quinn, I don't think, is playing very much right now. That's no. your fourth pass rusher. Is <laughs> a guy who's been very productive throughout his career. In interior wise, they had they had Javon Hargrave who has seven sacks, Fletcher Cox, who's been good for like I think thirty seven years. I think he's been in the NFL for thirty seven <laughs> years at this point, been good for all of them. And then they added Sue and, uh, and Dominican Sue and Linval Joseph behind that. Plus, they have Milton Williams, who was a third-round pick a couple years ago. That's I just named nine people that can all get after the passer. On the Colts side of things, with Quiddy Pay and Taekwon Lewis out, you have Buckner, who's getting doubled on every snap right now and is trying is like trying like heck to do stuff, but it's it's hard when you're getting doubled a lot. Uh, you have Grover Stewart, who can do a little bit in the pass rush, but is mostly a run stuffer. You have Ngakwe, who had a good game today, but has mostly been a little underwhelming this season. And then you've got Ifadio Denigbo, who's you know fine for depth, but he should that be shouldn't your, be the name we're saying. He should You've be got nine. Like think about the names I just said for the Eagles. Ballard has always talked about having eight or nine guys. Not having it ends up playing a big role when Hertz is standing in pristine pockets late in the game, especially when you spent. A second-round pick on a guy who plays eight percent of snaps in Ben Banigou, mm-hmm. so it has caught up to them for sure. That's definitely that's a that's a really that might have been a good unsung villain pick actually. Yeah, that's a good point. It's easy to blame the guys on the field, but yeah, yeah, yeah. The guys yeah, who yeah, don't yeah. get on the no. field. That's a good one. Um, yeah, the pass rush is a great choice for that. Um, to do it a little differently, I'm I'm going to go with uh, I'm going to go with Kenny Moore. Uh, because we're talking about a defense that I, they, they've, they're very good in moments, but they feel like they're a player away. And sometimes I feel like he he has not been that guy this year. And if he was more that guy, I think they, I think this could be closer to that dominant unit. Um, it's been the situation he's in is not ideal. It's a different scheme. It doesn't utilize the nickel corner the way that Matt Eberflus's did. But I still think through half a season. Great players are supposed to figure it out, and they're supposed to find some ways to to make some some more of those contributions. And he's had a couple moments. Nice breakup against the Broncos last week against the Raiders. Made a couple plays, but those turnovers. I mean, last year he led this team in interceptions, and in in you know, and he was just around the football all the time. And this year, the only time, a lot of times when he's around the football is when he's you know giving up a play in coverage, and he gave up a crosser uh, late. On, on on that final drive that let the Eagles kind of go down there and, and score. And they, on that one of those uh, third down, like those third and short conversions, I noticed like he shot right through there and he just he just missed the running back. And it's like those moments are – when they are there, they're not there as much for him this year as they were last year, the positions he's in. But he's not capitalizing on them quite the way that he did last year. And I just think if – we talk about these other guys. DeForest Buckner is trying to 
beat double teams all day. Like Stephon Gilmore is going up against the number one uh, receiver on the other team, and he doesn't have a lot of a pass rush. Like some of these guys have excuses. Garver Stewart's getting double teamed sometimes. Kenny Moore, I just I don't think the scheme is enough of an excuse at this point to not flash more than he is. Uh, and so I'm going to go with him. Like, I just think if he was having some Pro Bowl-type games, this that's where this defense could really be dominant, and that's like the one spot they're missing right now. Okay, down to the last two categories here. This is where we're going to finish up. We're going to start. I'm going to – I had these the other way around, but I'm going to flip them. So the first thing is one that might be a mirage. Uh, something that happened today that might not that, – that probably doesn't necessarily come into play the rest of the season. Um, my one that might be a barrage hurts 16 carries for 86 yards. And it, it doesn't have – this doesn't have anything to do with Jalen Hurts. It's more to do with the, Colt, the, the quarterbacks on the rest of the Colts' schedule. I don't know if they're going to have to deal with that many quarterback-designed runs the rest of the way. It – Kenny Pickett's not going to do it. Um, Dak Prescott's not going to do it. Yeah, Dak can do it, but Dak they're not going to use him that way. No, I mean, they, not since the injuries. He gets hurt too much. Uh, Kirk Cousins isn't going to do it. Daniel Jones can do a little bit of it, but they don't run him the same way. Uh, Davis Mills, obviously not. Justin Herbert, not really. Um, who am I missing? Is that the whole? Is that the whole rest of the schedule? Say Kirk Cousins. Yeah, that might be the whole um, rest of the schedule. It's just it's Daniel just, Jones. He does a little, a little bit, on, but it's not. I don't do think it's the same bit. as Hertz. I it's. I just don't think that that all of the designed runs, you know, the seven design runs that you you mentioned, I don't think that that's going to be something that this is is going to become a developing issue for this Colts defense that going going forward. Yeah, I'm going to go with. Uh, I think one catch for 16 yards for Kylan Granson. He'd really had a nice little stretch here, and I think they've got him in the right kind of role. It took them. You know, just getting him out of more of those blocking situations, making him the primary receiving tight end, almost the only receiving tight end that had worked for the past you know month or so. And I, he's got a decent connection with Matt Ryan. He's you know Matt Ryan loves tight ends. Today was, it's it's a really good defense they went up against. And he only got one target, which was that catch you brought up where he somehow stayed in bounds. And he looked like he's falling out of bounds. So it was just a very tough matchup for him, and really didn't make any kind of impact. But I expect him to to kind of bounce back and be more than that going forward. Okay, here's the last category, and this is probably the best place to end the pod. One to bank on. Something, a development from this game that, that is going to be something that we talk about with the Colts the rest of the season. Oh, I think it's Michael Pittman coming out right from the get-go and being the number one target and being the guy that this really good defense, that's the one guy they did not really have an answer for kind of consistently for, for much of the day when they went to him. I mean, it was seven targets, so it's not like it was – the hugest high volume day, but just a very efficient and safe game from him, which is, uh, you know, six catches, 75 yards on seven targets. And he's had a weird, really weird past month. The whole offense has, but he, I think he was affected the most of anybody when they switched quarterbacks. He was, he was building a connection with Matt Ryan. He fits Matt Ryan's sort of uh, willingness to throw the ball in any kind of any situation he's in whether you know whether he's covered or not but also to fit it in with accuracy and let him win with his size on timing and and all that either timing routes or even late in it down as sort of a um sort of a safety valve uh type of play so i think i think we're going to see that more Pittman, he's just had some bad plays out there where he's been, he's been frustrated or he's not been totally focused where he's you know he had the drop and he had a couple of fumbles uh but i think he's going to get I think we're going to see him sort of click in for as long as they play Matt Ryan and they let this actually build. He's had four quarterbacks in two and a half years. But I think Matt Ryan is 
is the best connection he's ever really had. Um, and the more that they let that go, I think this guy will show up because he is the one guy that even when you're talented in the secondary like the Eagles are, he's six five. Um, he's like Svon Gilmore said, he can he can catch even when he's even when you think you've got him covered, you don't actually have him covered. So I think he'll show up against most opponents, and I think we're going to see a more locked inversion like we did today. My one to bank on is that the Colts' offensive line isn't – it's never going to be consistent. We're just not going to see that this year. It, it, there, mm-hmm. there, there can be – I think it's going to be matchup dependent. Uh, there's no one else quite like the Raiders on the schedule, uh, a team that's completely devoid of a pass rush. But uh, if, if they get some of those games where they get end up going against a defensive front that's not an excellent pass rush team, I think that they can have the opportunity for good days. But I think today showed that it, it's – Whatever, whatever they might have looked like, they might have gotten with the Raiders. It's, it's not necessarily sustainable. There, there was more pressure than they, they still have problems at left tackle. Ryman's not quite ready yet. They still have problems at right guard. Um, the, the problems that the other guys have are, are probably going to resurface at one point or the other. There was, there were some plays with Quentin Nelson today, run game wise, where he got beat a little bit. Um, uh, and I'm sure the other two did too. I just don't have them off the top of my head. But yeah, that that's my one to bank on. The, the Colts, we're, we're what is this? We're eleven games into this. Yep, we're eleven games into this, and at this point, I just, I just, it's been too. It's it's like, so you have a good game against Jacksonville, and Jacksonville's a bad. Jacksonville's been ultimately outside of the the one game against the Colts, a bad pass rush, and you give up no sacks and fifty eight attempts. You do okay against Washington, but you don't throw it that much. And you do a lot of stuff on the move to stay away from him, stay away from their pass well, rush. There's a Titans game in there too, where Matt Ryan got hurt. The Titans, the Titans, yeah, right, right. There's a good point. After the Jacksonville game, the Titans just destroyed the Colts' offensive line and, and led to honestly all of this: <laughs> uh, Ryan benching and the firings and all that stuff. Um, and then you go up against Washington, different kind of game plan. Don't throw it that much, so you only give up one sack. But then the next week, you give up nine to the Patriots. <laughs> Uh, look good, one sack against the Raiders, protect the, protect well, and then you go up against a good pass rush against Philadelphia, and you give up four sacks and seven or eight quarterback hits, and at the at the game's crucial Too moments, you can't throw the ball down the field. And so, like I, that's 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 who this team is now. They they are they are the what they've put on tape, what they've put in the numbers. It's going to be matchup dependent. So if you want to know how they're going to play, look at the other team, and it's, it doesn't look great coming up because the the Steelers oh. have. Have T.J. Watt, who seems to be back to full strength, uh, and then the next game after that is the Cowboys, who are just terrifying. And it's not just about the front line guy; they, the, both of those teams have other guys who can do it. Because yeah, obviously, they, people will be like, "Well, the Raiders have Max Crosby, who's great. That's true." But those other teams have a better re- track record of getting after the pass rusher, and, or getting after the passer. And I think that that's the thing that you're, you've got to keep looking at: is th- this offense is this offense at this point, uh, and, and everything uh, everything else. Everything else that they do kind of goes in the mirage category until they do it like four weeks in a row. Yeah, and while Max Crosby, he's really, really good. I mean, Micah Parsons is just out of this universe, and that's going to be the guy. Like, they're going to watch this tape, and they're going to say, we're going to put him on the left on the offense's left side and go up against the rookie Bernard Ryman, and that's the world they're just going to have to live in. It's interesting. You just look at the, the top pass r- edge rusher that they're going to have to face coming up for each game is T.J. Watt, Micah Parsons, Daniil Hunter, Joey Bosa, Kayvon Thibodeau, and then they get the Texans at the end. So that that is a brutal stretch. Every single one of those teams has a guy who can wreck the game more so than 
more so a better singular top player than the Eagles had today. Uh, what the Eagles had is the Eagles thing full, is just the incredible depth. Yeah, they have that full depth, and they have. The other thing that I know you were talking to Ryman about was like how different the styles are of those those edge rushers. That's hard for a rookie who's still just trying to get his feet wet, um, and that's going to be true for Will Fries too, who's you know who's not played very much in this league. So, yeah, I think the offensive line it is what it is. And uh, just Saturday coming in, I talked about this. I I did think he would help some for that group in terms of. I think he'll help sort of. I think he'll help the run game a little bit, which is five guys playing as one. That was a lot better against the Raiders uh, today. Obviously, it was not great, but um, I do think it'll be the run game will be better than it's been. But yeah, when they're trying to win the game, when they're having to drop back on third and ten, this offensive line is what it's been all year. Which is, if they're against an easy matchup, they can survive. When they're against a really good defense, they uh, they tend to crater. That's it. That's the new first impressions Colts Cover Two podcast. Nate, how'd it go for you? I kind of like the categories. It yeah, allows you to was, touch uh, more of the game. I feel like I was drinking from a fire hose, but uh, <laughs> nice. I was Jeff Saturday in the seat, just just figuring out how it goes. But it was fun. I, I like it. It's it's loose. It's different. You know, on midweek we we had the mascots, which I've been, you know, I'm big on the mascot. Yeah. Well, game. one note which doesn't apply to almost anybody who listens to this podcast. The video part of the podcast is going away, but we will continue to do something for the mascots just because I think it's worked. Yes, I love the mascots. So it was. was the mascots are like the thing I hold on to that I, I told Joel we got to keep that even when the video goes away. So Joel came back and, and came up with a cool format for the first impressions one that uh, I like it. I like where it's going. Okay, that's the Colts Cover 2 podcast. It is Thanksgiving week. Uh, we will be back midweek. Uh, you can listen to us or not. Some of you have drives to people's houses for Thanksgiving. When everybody else falls asleep, all the kids and everybody falls asleep in the car, you can listen to us. Uh, Colts have a, a Monday night game against the Steelers next week. We will see where this goes from here. They're four, six, and one, and re- it's really starting to get tough looking at that playoff race. For the Colts Cover 2 podcast, I'm Joel A. Erickson. This has been Nate Atkins' First Impressions. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.